This is Sarah Groff, U.S. Olympian, and this is the Slow Ride Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Slow Ride Podcast. Bikes, life, and rumors straight from the source. We can be reached at theslowridepodcast at gmail.com or via Twitter at theslowridepod. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Just search The Slow Ride. You can find show notes and more information at theslowridepodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the 35th episode of The Slow Ride Podcast. This is Tim Hayes recording live in the lovely town of Mobile, Alabama. Joined in Dorchester, Massachusetts with Spencer Howe. Little guy Matt Allen is in Minneapolis, and we have our very first guest ever, Matt Roy, ultra-endurance cyclist, pro race mechanic, currently pit boss and mechanic for Mo Bruno Roy, and formerly with the Saturn Pro Cycling Team. Yeah, that's true. Managed to get his PhD. Oh my gosh, and what are you studying now? What am I studying now? Well, what are you uh, doing with your doctorate? Oh, so I work at this place called the Broad Institute. If you've heard anything about Ebola lately, all the research is coming out of there, or most of it. Um, I work in um, a, a group at the Broad Institute called the Broad Technology Lab. It's quite, sort of modeled after the uh, Bell Labs, and we work on uh, science fiction. We work on science fiction. Um, so new technologies, things that don't exist yet, high throughput, um, Single cell genome sequencing, crazy banana stuff. So, yeah. yeah. The reason we really care about you and why the world cares, Matt, is that <laughs> you're uh, the mechanic for Mo Bruno Roy and also the current record holder of the North to South cross main record. Mm-hmm. How long did that take you? Uh, 22 hours and 24 minutes. And it was uh, 384. In a car? No. On no. a bike. Uh, 384.2 miles, I think. Yeah. Um, so Fort Kent, uh, to Kittery, uh, 20, uh, just under 27,000 feet of climbing. Um, it was, uh, it was hot as balls the entire day. Um, I left from the Canadian border at, uh, why, (laughs) why would you do this? (laughs) Uh, Actually, the story of why I did this is pretty good. Um, I had never done any distance stuff before. Um, I raced. I uh, raced as a three. I raced in collegiate. And in uh, April 2006, I broke my hip and a criterium, um, the Tufts crit collegiate race. And um, I was given a pretty dire prognosis. Um, They said, um, you need, you'll probably need a total hip replacement. We're going to do something called a dynamic hip screw in the meantime. So yeah, I was given this kind of ugly prognosis. I was told I'd probably always walk with a cane. Um, I was told to basically put the bike aside and it was, it was grim. So I, uh, I was sitting on the couch and, uh, not one to really feel sorry for myself. I was, uh, looking at, the race across America was, uh, was starting to ramp up and I was always kind of fascinated by how absolutely insane that kind of thing is. And the governing body for the Ram at the time is the ultra marathon cycling association. And I got on their page and then I thought, saw that they had state records. And then I saw the Massachusetts record and the endpoints were, were a little lame. You actually can choose the endpoints, and this is what our discussion about Minnesota will lead into. You can choose the endpoints for the state. 
And Massachusetts is lame. It's basically North Adams to Boston. And any self-respecting local knows that Massachusetts ends at the end of the Cape, P-Town, another 135 miles away. So I was like, I'm not going to establish a record for something that I think is lame. Um, <laughs> so I saw, I saw Maine, and Maine had yet to be established. I looked at a map, and I said, this is as far north as you can go, and it's as far south as you can go. And if someone looks at this, they can say, well, that's basically as far north and as far south as you can go. That's legit. And uh, for the next 16 and a half months, that was my sole focus, more or less. I did PT, uh, paid for PT out of pocket three times a week, um, and uh, essentially took a year off from school. Uh, and six months post-injury, it was the first time I got on the bike and just kind of stayed focused and uh, that was what that that was what led to it was uh, someone told me I couldn't, and so I decided that I could, and that's how it all started. And then you <clears throat> went to Maine, and you decided <laughs> to ride, and you have to pay for an official to join you. You can yeah. get what bottles like three times an hour. Yeah, so, so up- yeah, so you have to have a follow car. You have to have a support vehicle, um, and because I have a history in pro cycling as a mechanic, um, I. Uh, Who's who's honking back there? Is there is there That's your that's your um that's your follow car. Okay. Ah. <laughs> nice. Um uh so I actually had two SRAM NRS Volvos um led by Butch oh. Balzano's crew. Um I had them supporting me. I had like five bikes, um, three of my own, two of theirs, and uh so and then bike changes if you get a flat tire? You can do bike changes. You can actually change equipment based on terrain. So I had a I had a bike. Uh, one of the one of the one of the things I realized after my injury was that um, that uh, uh, thirty nine fifty three was kind of out of the question. And I was a very early adopter of a compact crank. Um, and Maine, it, it you you t- probably don't know this, but Maine is ruthlessly hilly. Um, <laughs> it is a nonstop roller. So. The, and so I had different bikes. Like I had, there was one section that I knew was going to be like two to three percent uphill grade along a river for a while. So I thought a TT bike would be good. And um, yeah, so yes, you have a follow car. Um, you need you need one official per every twenty four hours. Um, and I was uh, audacious enough to think that I could do this in under twenty four hours. So I only had one official. If you went over twenty four hours and you only had one official, you would get fined time so time would be added time would be added to your um so 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 how many officials is little guy gonna need to get across minnesota (laughs) well these are the thing can i be an official (laughs) this is what we need to look at actually the here's the thing and and i'm gonna be straight with you about the umca (laughs) It is an extremely poorly run organization. Uh, I, I would I, not I, have gotten that from the website. I think yeah. I would say the only thing that's that website is missing is a Santa and his reindeer cursor. Yes, yes. yes that's yes. exactly what we're we're big fans of that here. Yeah, I know, and it's it's uh, <laughs> yeah, you can find my name in there, but it's uh, it's not a great run, great organization. In fact, Ram has Ram has ceded from the UMCA. Um, they still run events like, um, they have a, they have a 24 hour world cup. Um, so there are these guys who do 24 hour races, uh, 
throughout the country, throughout the world, and they 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 regulate the World Cup of of twelve and twenty four hour races. Um, so I have a record. I have a record for a twelve hour race too that they also govern. Nice. Uh, so Tim could be an official. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you basically there's like a quiz you have to do, and it's like <laughs> you, it, you it's basically. Like- What's your favorite color? (laughs) There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules. I'm not going to lie. And it's basically, did you read the rule book circle? Yes or no. And And, they might even have maybe as an option. So would it be in poor form since there is not a record for North to South in Minnesota? Are we going South to North little guy? What are you doing? Like I said, North to South, I want to use gravity. If he's going North to South, can we just start? Because he can choose his own endpoints. He could like, a low blow it and just go, you know, 20 miles away from the border and say, this is the North to South. (laughs) So you'd have to, so there is someone who kind of monitors these records and there's, there's one problem. And the problem is, is that they like things to go through state capitals because it adds cachet to the, yeah. Well, I like that. That's nice. That's nice. Um, Nobody likes St. Paul though. Oh, come on. I like St. Paul. Now you're being rude. Okay. You could go through the Mall of America parking lot. That would be. Oh, like, oh okay. Yeah. Is it is it basically like completely like a game of horse? Like if I make it so you you have to ride in like the parking ramp by Bloomingdale's and ride. No, up no. So you up down so you your Sears. So you choose the endpoints, and then kind of the the trickery of it is that um, it's up to the rider to determine the route now you have to submit the route ahead of time but you don't need to share that with whoever wants to try to break that record okay. actually I, i'm actually if there is no record established for minnesota you know then i'm kind of interested now <laughs> <Shit. Uh-oh>. competition <laughs> wait but i'll be the official i'll find I a way to dq been, him. Been like, it's all right. so so basically <laughs> the official has these has these different rules and so the official that i had is this awesome woman tracy engel who um was the administrator for our local Breve series. And I'll, we'll get to that next because we need to clear up some misconceptions about that. Um, but, uh, but, but, Can't Tracy, possibly be any <laughs> but Tracy basically sat in the car in the front seat. And um, actually I had a radio, so I could talk to the, I had a jump mechanic in the back seat um, and the jump mechanic had profile maps. Now this is me. This is me like going overboard. Most of the people are like, uh, did, they, did they have one of those like aprons that had all their tools in it too? So when they jumped out, they were able to lean out the window I, and I had, um, fix your derailleur. And my two record, my two records, um, Maine north to south and Maine west to east. I had probably the best support crew you could ever ask for in the continental United States. And, <laughs> So has anybody tried to take your record, Matt, since you've <laughs> yeah. said it? Yeah, um, uh, there's been at least one attempt that's been recorded. Um, this guy, Stephen Bugby, and it bums me out because he claims he has the main North to South record, which he does for his age group. Um, so it's like 50 plus. And, Wait, uh, so he's claiming it like on his Facebook posts and stuff? And you're kind of like, like downvote like, it? He sort <laughs> of, like, it's oh. like, he doesn't do Reddit. Oh, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, so he, uh, it's kind of like in his race resume, he's like main North to South record holder, but no, there's no asterisk saying that it took him 11 and a half hours longer than it took me. <laughs> Not that anyone's counting. So, uh, um, so, you, so little guy, you're fine. Don't worry yeah, about little it. Guy, you're good. Yeah. Cause yeah. you've got the age group, little guy. Um, oh, I got the age so group what's sealed. this, what's this brevet racing? So those two words would never really go together. 
Uh, so a brevet. So there's two oh, worlds. Oh, it's French. Yeah, yeah it's. Well, it's uh, weird. You're you're pronouncing it wrong, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's two worlds of endurance cycling, like ultra endurance cycling, that are road based. I don't. I, there's a mountain world that I I don't know well, so I don't want to claim any knowledge on that, even though it would seem right to do on the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just go for it. Just so, <laughs> so in the in the world that I know, there's ultra cycling, which is these kind of events that I talk about, 12-hour, 24-hour races, race across America. These are typically non-drafting, supported events where you go as fast as you can from uh, time zero to time 12 hours or time zero to time 24 hours or from point A to point B. Um and there's a whole calendar of events like this. So ultra cycling, typically non-drafting, the winner gets listed on the top of the results. Now, in contrast, brevets are non-competitive distance events um, that uh, have a time limit. Okay, and these are they differ from ultra in that um, they are completely unsupported. Um, there are usually controls where you have to sort of like a rally. You have to go into a control and get a card signed. Um, and depending on where you do these brevets, um, some of them are nicely supported. So there'll be a, uh, a table with Fig Newtons and a place to fill your water bottle and some bananas and peanut butter and jelly and stuff like that. Um, but you have to carry everything you need on the bike. Um, now, these controls are typically about 100K apart, depending on where you are. Um, and you have to follow a prescribed route. Now, historically, you have a cue sheet that you get ahead of time. And if you're any sort of self-respecting brevet rider, you learn to do a brevet by reading the cues while you go. Um, the modern version is that everyone just drops it into their Garmin and follows it blindly. Um, uh, now I do that um, because it's a hell of a lot nicer <laughs> than flip, flipping pages. But you, you end up riding riding with people who show up to these things without anything. And they're like, which way do you go? It's not, yeah. not super collaborative, but um, yeah. So those are the real differences between them. Breves are unsupported. The results are listed alpha, alphabetically. But uh, they're draft a, legal though, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. There's like, no, so you can get with the recumbent guys and just, just be flying for the seven seconds that they descend. Yeah. Um, and I think you guys mentioned this before. There is sort of a maximum speed you can achieve. Um, and only a few times have I gotten to a control and I've had to wait. Um, and you know, the control, you get to the first control point and you've averaged 24 miles an hour or something cause you have a nice tailwind and you have to wait a few minutes before the control opens. So they, they kind of have a minimum and maximum average speed you can achieve. The principal brevet event that the world talks about is Perry Bray Paris, um, and 2015 is a, is a PBP year. It's typically held every four years. It's actually the longest running bicycling event in the world. And it started, um, I think in late 1800s, like 1890 something. And it was actually historically held as a race. And this is a 1200 kilometer race and it's draft legal. Guys would start in Paris. They ride to the coast and, and Brest or Bray, however you want to say it. And then they ride back. Um, I don't know how long it's been run as a 1200K brevet, but this is the one that everyone goes for. And for example, all the brevets I did this year help qualify me to do PBP. 
Have you done a PVP? So that's, that's the goal, huh? That's, I, that's a lot of people's goal. I have not done it. And I know, and I talk about this a lot that I, I feel like I'm supposed to really be excited about doing it. And I, I'm just not excited. (laughs) I'm not excited to do it. So this year I did my longest brevet. I did a thousand K uh, from Bremerton, Washington, past Crater Lake, and then uh, into uh, Klamath Falls um, with my good buddy, the Wilcox. And you know that's the longest brevet event I had done, and I did it just to do it. I wasn't shooting for any sort of time. Um, so that um, sounds a little different than me that goes to the same office park crit every weekend <laughs> all summer long. Spencer, you don't even go yeah. to the office park crit. You just like go into the Shh. porta potty and then you're, like, fifth lap, <laughs> the field comes around and you jump back in. He still goes. He still goes. I'm there. Yeah. When you when you see who comes out to these events, you could you realize that it's it's really the every person's cycling event. Like they're all shapes and all shapes and sizes. They're all kinds of bikes. How um, many Rivendells? There's a lot of that. <laughs> Of that ilk, yeah. let's say. Um, um, How many titanium I, bikes? There's quite a few. Yeah, there's a lot of custom, but there's a group of guys who come out and they race their they they'll ride their Scots with deep dish wheels and like a tiny saddle bag and. Um, Can you have you aero know, bars? Yeah, yeah. It's you know I I tend not to ride with the guys who ride with aero bars because they don't know how to ride in a group. That's mm-hmm. a a global statement of just the people that I've ridden with. Um, and there's some people you're, who... You're, uh, you're in a safe space here. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though at the beginning of this podcast, we did get the introduction from Sarah Groff, U.S. triathlete, but she had no clue about the podcast, so I didn't want to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it's there's a camaraderie. There's kind of a camaraderie that builds around the guys that you end up riding with, and um, sure. it's nice. It's nice to have like a group of guys who are capable of riding the speed you want to ride and share that load. And there's a mo. There's I. I think there's a, a piece of it that um, is pretty beautiful about it. And it's there's a moment. And th- that thing is that there's a moment that it sucks, and you're you're you, you just want to lie down on the side of the road. And you want to call your wife or your friend and you want a DNF. And then like 25 minutes later, it's the best thing you've ever done. Like it's gone. That, that, that bitter valley is gone. That's... Bitter valley usually hits for me right about three minutes into any type of bike event I'm doing. Yeah. So at nine minutes, <laughs> you're like, that's remember that three minutes thing that's gone. No, then I know at nine minutes I'm just deeper than I was at three minutes. It's <laughs> just you, like you just you just need to I'm keep. Like, oh, Spencer's gonna make fun of me if I don't finish. <laughs> I got to do this. I'll there make fun of you either way, Tim. It's okay. I'm not so, saying it. I'm not it saying it's a, buddy. It is a pretty cool event. I mean, to kind of <laughs> the uh, I always ride brevies basically as fast as I can. Um, you know, my goal is to you know my goal was historically to have every course record for. Uh, the Boston Brevet Series. So um, every time they roll out a new course, I want to get the record on it, and I have I have them, but no one knows because that's they're just listed alphabetically. So, um, <laughs> so that uh, that juxtaposes pretty well with the uh, with the weekend racing that you do with with Mo and keeping keeping that whole thing going all cross season, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, we keeps we, you sane. Well, let's first introduce. I mean, you're. Your wife is Mo Bruno Roy, 
New England cyclocross superstar royalty, yep. if you will, sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. She also uh, tell us a little bit about her career and then also what you do for her. Yeah, so Mo sort of fell into it. Um, she didn't start racing until she was 28. Uh, and it's being pointed out more and more lately as these like young whippersnappers are are snagging UCI wins that uh, these some of these girls are like half Mo's age. Um, but Mo fell into it. Uh, she grew up with Tim Johnson. They went to the same high school together and Tim took her to a couple mountain bike races. She did some mountain bike races and, uh, um, borrowed a cross bike from our friend Merlin and did a local race and, and then couldn't afford to race. She was, uh, worked three jobs and, you know, had one bike that she rode to work. And, um, when we started dating, she, uh, I think we picked up a, what bike did we get? Um, what was her for? Hey, Mo, what was your first cross bike? <laughs> Wait, why are oh, we talking yeah. to you if Mo's in the back? Oh, she's oh, God. We could put her on. She'll no, be no, the no, next guest. Right. Uh, it was an Impella. It was an Impella. Uh, uh, this like bl- uh, matte black Impella. And she went out and she did her a couple of races. And the last race of the season was a snowy race in New Hampshire. And she gets second to Mary McConnellog. Like it's a, it's like a big deal. She's all of a sudden, yeah. she's like second. And on the podium at a New England Verge race, it's a, this race doesn't exist anymore. It was a really cool, hilly one. And the next year, she, I think she ended up racing for uh, maybe one more year in that. And then basically her career blossomed very quickly. Um, in 2006, um, yeah, what's that, 2000, 2005, was uh, her first time standing on the uh, elite podium at nationals in Providence, Rhode Island. And she had won the Verge series and um, was very early into the sport, her third season. And she finished, she finishes uh, third bronze medal in the elite nationals, crosses the finish line, gets handed a packet from Mark Gullickson and says, you're going to worlds. And within, <laughs> within three years, she's achieved everything that a cross athlete would ever want to achieve who still goes to work on Monday there. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> one of the, uh, you know, you are a UCI mechanic. You've been in the pit zone and a uh, little guy, we've been talking about this, the craziness that goes into the pit. I know that you've uh, practiced exchanges with Spencer when you were doing the UCI races. So uh, what do yeah, you think time. of the pits? And then, <laughs> and then we'll talk to the actual pro that knows what's going on in the pits. I've I've only been in the pits the one time at nationals. The only time I've ever pitted. I've which even, which national? Other than like uh, in um in Madison, last the second yeah. year in Madison. Oh, nice so. the the snowy What's, one. Yeah, the snowy, What's, terrible, terrible yeah. ruts and everywhere it, one. And I That's was it. the pit That's guy. Only, yeah, I had it was, I it had was a your, really pro setup. I had your pit bike, and it had down tube yep. shifters, and yep. it was the gunner. <laughs> And I remember, Matt probably does not remember, but I was on the other side of the little fence, uh, of the little stall from Matt Roy ah. in the pit. And you had, I think you had, you had, you were the Roth the Focus guys. I was and, Zach McDonald's mechanic that day. Yeah. yeah. And so you guys were like tearing apart bikes. Like you were pulling all the cables out and spraying all kinds of liquids and stuff all over yeah. everything. Yeah. And that, every that half was- lap. That like fifty five minutes, I got, I gave myself cancer. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> there was, 
there was so much overspray of everything everywhere. Oh, and yeah, I was I, standing there with little guys <laughs> bike and I sort of half heartedly cleaned it off a little bit. And <laughs> I felt kind of bad for little guy, but he was like, you know, 60th place. So maybe, maybe that's what you get. I think that's where I finished. Yeah. Spencer, one of my favorite things that we needed to share from the, the show notes was your description of the uh, pit in a pro race. You said, you know, the pit in the pro race, a place to potentially win or lose a race versus what the pit is to the rest of us. Basically a place just to f- forget your spare wheels. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so what kind of Matt, have you ever forgotten anything in the pit? Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. So it is, it does I happen mean, to pros too. I mean, it's it's partly because I will bring more than one man can handle, and uh, and I my <clears> priority every night. Ew. Sorry, my <laughs> my priority at the end of the race is to like get back to Mo. And uh, the problem, like the thing is, is like I I am a pro mechanic, but I'm a husband and uh, soignier, and like I the the thing I want to do at the end of the race is make sure Mo has what she needs mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, tim's mechanic stew his job is to just go back to the truck ah, you know gotcha. and so I, I i multitask a little bit to my own demise sometimes but i i've actually this year i left a pair of wheels in the pit but i i knew i had i just walked back and picked them up you know so <laughs> what's the craziest thing you've seen in a pit um so pits are typically like when they're bad, they're victim of their design. And uh, I think the worst pit, I'm not going to say it's the craziest, but really the most difficult pit I ever worked in was um, uh, Roubaix. Um, so the pit was like just in the same space as the velodrome and it's just tucked off to the right. And it was basically this place where all the water and the entire venue would drain. So you're, you're practically in ankle deep water in this pit and, um, racing in France for cyclocross is odd. The, f- the fans are quiet. They only cheer for the two people on the front and only if they're French. So Spencer, you would love it because Moray yeah. gets all yeah. the cheers. Um, <laughs> Rightfully and- so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the concept of waiting in line is completely foreign to most European mechanics and more so at this pit in Roubaix where I would get Mo's bike, I'd run to the pit and then I would basically be shoved aside multiple times. So I, I actually had to push people out of the way to get to, to the use. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes there would be an empty hose that I was going for and someone would just like dive in front of it. And yeah. Um, but by and large, the pits are very um, easy to navigate, and usually people will make way for the leaders. Um, people help each other out. Uh, the The pits the last few years at the World Cups have been amazing. They have a, a power washer sponsor, Debo, and they set up this like uh, octagon. And there's a um, so you, all the bikes just go against the fencing of this octagon, and there's eight power washers just waiting for you to use. And then on the perimeter, on the outside of the pit zone, there are these hoses with other powerful nozzles. So this, there was never a want for a hose. Um, nice. But um, the only times I've really seen any issues is when I've like gone to check the pit out during the junior races, and hockey dads get a little excited sometimes. <laughs> 
I do like oh, watching yeah. the uh, the World Cup that with Kevin Powell's uh, team as they're getting ready for his drive side dismounts, and he's told they're oh, totally yeah. standing on the other side of the pit fence, and then everyone so there's a little bit more confusion yeah. <laughs> as they're coming in. But uh, yeah. it that's, is uh, I, it's kind of so fun. that's that's one thing about uh, World Cups uh, is. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot more order to the pit boxes. So um, the pit boxes are actually assigned to nations. And those, um, you, you basically, the, the night before the, the World Cup, you go to a manager's meeting. And at the manager's meeting, they have this like, it might as well be an overhead projector. Um, but they have this Excel sheet with the pit laid out and they by nation based on their ranking they say what what pit box do you like and usually belgium's number one for the men and they always take number one and then the netherlands is usually number two and they always take number seven because they want to basically be as far away from belgium as they can be but not be on the other end of the pit so what what's Uh, the most prefer preferable place in the pit in the beginning well in the very beginning or kind of at the end well, that's the thing. It's like the Belgian mechanics don't care. They just want to be in the first <laughs> box. Um, but like this is something I, I learned from Mark Legg, Katie's husband. And Mark uh, is very careful and meticulous and thoughtful about really everything he does and um, is also kind in sharing his knowledge. He's not secret squirrel like a lot of these guys. Um, but Mark, Mark and I would go to these World Cups and we'd walk the pits and we'd walk – the the lane that the riders would go in and we'd look to see if there's an advantage or a disadvantage to a place to mount or dismount or remount. Is it, is there a divot there? Is there uh is there going to be mud in that section? Is it actually better to come through the pit? Is the pit always the faster line? We'd walk the outside of the fence and you know, the, the lane of the course. And um, so yeah, uh, you can really win or lose a race based on where you're positioned in the pit. And, um, it's all driven by course conditions, certainly. But, uh, yeah, you can really think about a lot of those things. Um, I always try to scope uh, where where Mo's uh, flow is most natural. Like, is she going she gonna to come into the pit at speed and she naturally slows down? I feed her her bike and then she can naturally accelerate. Um, where in that pit does that make sense? So. Yeah, little guy, I just want you to know that I did all of these things for you. <laughs> well, I'm sure you did. I don't doubt that. I don't remember that spot. Yeah, I don't remember you saying thank you. Before we get into the <laughs> next question of uh, Matt, I do want to get into. Um, we did get one review on the Slow Ride Podcast iTunes from Old Dirty Biker. I really enjoy listening to the Little Guy Podcast on weekdays while having oatmeal in the morning or before napping on my couch. The two regular guests on the show are pretty okay too. Keep up the good work. <laughs> so, Little Guy, I know Caitlin's probably there in the background. Um, you can tell she her is. thanks for the review. That's very nice of her to uh, uh, review the, the Little Guy podcast and help with the she's, rankings. She's not. She's at the news desk right now digging up breaking Astana news. Is there any new Astana news coming in? Uh, 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 probably. Probably. I, Someone should probably – one of us should probably be checking all the pertinent cycling websites because there's probably been a six doping case. I'm looking for uh, – I'm looking at all of the pic- – I'm waiting for the pictures to be revealed from – Why Santa. won't the pictures be revealed? I want to see them so badly. So do you think Ferrari, when he shows up to the Astana team camp, is wearing those fake nose and eyeglasses um, <laughs> that you could get at the spy store? <laughs> like that's I hope me. so. <laughs> and I saw a guy today walking across the street that 
this was his real nose, but he had <laughs> he had a very large nose and he had a big mustache and he had glasses just like that that look. And like he had to have known when he grew that mustache and bought those glasses that he looked like he looked like he had that disguise on all the time. Was it Ferrari? It, was weird. <laughs> it might have been. He- if so, he's he's in uptown. He's he was walking toward Flanders. He was walking toward Flanders, you guys. <laughs> oh, oh my Did god. Did he have a trench coat? No, just a winter coat. I don't know what the heck he was wearing, really. I have no idea. Yeah, it is kind of amazing, all of this news. Coming out day and day, and uh, Spencer, you said Ekimov uh, now supports the Astana team, so that's the badge of support they needed. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Solid support right there, yeah. (laughs) Good stuff coming through. So quickly, let's go from Astana to uh, Team Saturn. (laughs) What an awesome segue, I know. But uh, Matt, you were the... uh, Team Saturn uh, mechanic, and I know that you've spent lots of time in a Saturn automobile during this time period, and so I have a question for you. I owned a 1999 um, Saturn wagon. Little guy had spent a lot of time in it. We went to Montreal. Spencer, Was it a, the SL1 it. or the SL2? SL2. Nice. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I bought it with about 7,000 miles on it. Uh, maybe it wasn't a 99. I think it was 2003. Um, Oh, it wasn't in 2003. You had it in 2003. Okay, so it was a, what, a 2001? (laughs) I bought it because Saturn sponsored the team. Okay. Nice. So I bought the car, and we're driving home from Downers Grove National Crit Championships, and it throws a rod. And I was hoping you could tell me what happened. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) You know, were he still alive, I'd have you talk to Ray Manzarek of the uh, Click and Clack the Tappet Brothers. You guys know Car Talk on oh, yeah. NPR, I hope. So, yes. Those guys are down, this, grow, down the street from me in Cambridge. Uh, they would know the answer to that, and they would probably tell you you were driving it like an idiot. That I can, <laughs> I, that, I can definitely yeah. see that being the case, yeah. Totally true. Wasn't Sarah driving it? Sarah was driving the car, so she needed <laughs> it at the time, and we were heading home. So what's... You were yelling broccoli. broccoli how much, like... Time? How much time did you spend in the back seat of a Saturn station wagon for this, oh. um, for this squad? Hour. So I started in 99, and uh, I want to make a, a careful correction. I was not the team mechanic. Uh, the okay. head mechanic for the team is this guy, Ian Sherburn, who now runs the BMC program. Um, and I started, uh, I started in 99 uh, because of a connection at Pedro's. I was a schlub at a local shop and. Uh, they were doing the Philly week. So that week of races, Trenton, Lancaster, Philly, um, it was the first union pro race at the time. And uh, they called up Pedro's saying, we need someone down in Philly. Do you know anybody? And they're based in, they were based in Waukesha, Wisconsin at the time, uh, team sports where I, uh, I got a call from a friend at Pedro's. Like these Saturn guys want you to go. And I said, okay, I talked to this guy, Ian on the phone I took I took a bus down with like an army duffel bag and a tackle box with tools in it that I bought the week before. And uh, were they Pedro's tools or a park? It was a park tackle box. It was like that <laughs> apprentice mechanic kit in 1999. I knew what most of the tools did. Lots of cone wrenches. Yeah, it was all cone wrenches. It was like the extra cone wrench edition. Uh, and I uh, I didn't know anybody. But I figured if I could find the truck in the parking lot, then I would. It would be a good start. Like I, I could just 
wait for them to come out. I took this red eye bus, ended up in a sketchy section of Philly at like 4 a.m. and then walked to the hotel on 4th and Arch, found the truck and slept, fell asleep under a tree next to the truck. And uh, like four hours later, you hear the truck alarm going off and I kind of like wake up and lumber like a drunk over to these guys standing around the truck. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'm Matt Roy, your new mechanic. And they all just started laughing. They were like pointing and laughing at the vagrant who uh, showed up next to the truck. So <laughs> were they mechanics or were they vagrants themselves? No, they were the mechanics. Oh, okay. They had all come down. <laughs> they had their like polo shirts on and um yeah, I I, uh, I started that time in '99. I did anything they asked me to do uh, related to my mechanic duties. Like I picked up uh, chain pins they had dropped on the ground because they wanted to be sure the parking lot was clean. I pre-greased <laughs> every set of profile titanium clip-on bars that they had because the truck was going to uh, uh, I, uh, Idaho the next a couple days later, and I, I did pretty much everything except work on a bike that first week. And, uh, and, and after that, they were like, dude, you're hired. Welcome to the team. And I worked, yeah, I worked every event after that. And then the next year I was a chief mechanic for the Timex women's pro team. And when Timex merged with Saturn the next year, I continued to work with them. Um, I've stayed in touch with Ian. I've done some work with BMC, uh, and, uh, TIA craft before it was, uh, Garmin and, um, so yeah, I did, did a bunch of work with those guys, but yeah, I was with, I uh, spent a lot of time in the back of a Saturn car, no doubt. Right? A <laughs> so, lot of time. I, I think that... I had, I had some of my most epic full bladders of my life in the back of a fall car. <laughs> mm. Nice. Nice. So are you worried, uh, with the, with the move to electronic shifting that, uh, you're going to be outsourced of a job here? <laughs> <laughs> no, cause the electronic bikes don't clean themselves. Uh, that's and, true. So when you're like when you were a mechanic, like with Saturn, especially it was very, mine, <laughs> it was very that's just your clear. jersey, Spencer. <laughs> oh, it's both. It was made very clear that our job was first and foremost to make everything look good, and the second thing was to make it work well. Um, and if you had to split the job into two, the first was if you need to make the car clean before the bike, you do the car. Um, that's you know specific with Saturn. Um, and uh, those uh, things never needed much help to look good though. No, <laughs> especially with all the decals. I mean, that's it. Yeah. So did you ever have a, uh, did you ever have a rider that kept telling you like, Oh, it's not shifting well. And like, you were like, no, this thing is shifting perfect. And finally you put it in the stand and make it look like you turned the set screws and you're like, Oh, well, you're right. It was off just a little bit. And you give it back to them and they're like, Oh wow, that is perfect. And you didn't even touch it. There are, some riders needed a little extra uh, convincing, yeah, yeah. But you know, you, you, I, for the most part, I really tried to listen was to one them of those was, riders, Chris Horner. No, Horner was super easy. Nathan, uh, what was Nathan's last name? He got popped. Uh, Phil Zychek, he got popped. Oh, wow. uh, good pedigree. Maybe yeah. the, maybe the segue from Astana was perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's the the thing is is. Uh, yeah, as a mechanic, I I was completely oblivious to any of the stuff. I had no I no idea. It was never part of my job. Uh, so nothing you, nothing we ever saw or even really thought about. So when there was team meetings before a race, was everyone sitting there going like, "Man, I really hate those navigators guys." 
Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and, and you know where that came, where a lot of that was from, it was directors. Like all, every director in the U S used to race a bike and, mm-hmm. and, um, you could see this most evidently in the cat and the caravan because the way they drove in the caravan was like, they were still racing. Like, uh, Mike Sayers would be, Oh, that shit head moguls. I'm going to cut him off at the next corner. And you're in the caravan, buddy. You know, just... Speaking of speaking of Saturns in the caravan, Spencer, didn't you uh, put a good old dent <clears throat> into the uh, Saturn station wagon when you were? Uh, um... That wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you were borrowing my car, that was awesome. I did. I borrowed your car uh, to to do hand up uh, feeds for somebody. I forget what team. Oh, time, time Pro team. Yeah, the Time, time Factory Pro team. Pro team. At the Nature Valley Grand Prix, and I think it was the Jameis team that um, backed their van into the front of the car. Uh, so I wasn't in the car; it just got hit while it was under my watch. So I remember the, the, the Saturn can take was, it; it's made of plastic. I know. I remember the license plate was dangling, and you're like, "Oh, we can put that back on. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal." Yeah, the trailer hitch went right into it. I- Oh, I, I think no every I think every caravan I've been in, I've seen some kind of car accident. Though, um, I probably almost every one. Yeah. Were you in the pro the pro uh, scene, the U.S. domestic scene, when uh, Nav- uh, Rock Republic had their uh, Lincoln Navigator or whatever the Escalade that always got put to the back of the caravan because it was too tall? No, no. We uh, I actually probably my favorite one was. Do you guys remember the um, the San Francisco race? Uh, it was oh, like yeah. a team t- yeah. the team mobile race. So. Uh, who was I working for? Uh, I think I was with Saturn. That, or, you know, it was Quark. It was a women's pro team uh, post-Saturn called Quark. Lynn Bissett was on it. And uh, um, they pulled numbers for the caravan. I was like car 17. So I had, I wasn't going to do anything. So I Mavic was neutral support. And I went up to the Mavic guys and was like, listen, I'm not going to get to my riders. If they need anything, it'll take me an hour. Um, so if you see a flat, will you fix it? And they're like, yep, no problem. So I just basically sat in the back of the, Oh, I was driving that day. That's right. I had an unlabeled car. It was like a gold, uh, uh grand prix. Some like complete Ooh, meathead car. Ooh, yeah. You know nice. what we think of Pontiacs. <laughs> and I, tr- I basically tried to emulate every San Francisco driving scene ever. Cause the streets were closed and, oh, did um, you get air? Oh yeah. Like four wheel <laughs> nice. vertical lockup. But this is what makes makes me think of it. There were two cars in front of me. One was a subway car. You remember that subway team? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. And they were driving that Dodge, uh, like that super souped up Dodge Hemi station wagon. Um, and then someone was driving driving that Audi, like the A4 that has the adjustable suspension. And yeah. I saw both of those cars DNF. <laughs> and the, <laughs> the first the first was that Audi Cot Air landed and then whatever that adjustable suspension thing all four of them broke and the chassis just sat on top of all four wheels and they just had to like pull over to the side of the road and then the other was that um that uh that subway car it was another thing they caught like a massive amount of air and they hit the ground so hard that there were pieces on the ground and I don't even know what they were. <laughs> but yeah. the Pontiac Grand Prix made it just fine. Oh man. That thing was thing was brilliant. And no one knew it. Like no one knew what who's the asshole driving the goal? It didn't say t- Timex on it or Quark. It was just some rental car. So uh, I think they probably I- just thought some guy jumped in on, in yeah. on 
That's just now I have like, a bike in the back seat. I didn't even have a roof rack or anything. I think the best part of uh, the caravan has to be when you're going up those big climbs right after the riders, and it's just the smell of burning clutch. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's that's actually probably when I've seen the most accidents. Because uh, a, a lot of these, the, some of these moto drivers are brilliant, right? They They really think about this. They know that they're going to be going uphill at like four miles an hour. And they change out their gearboxes to accommodate that. But every once in a while, you get some guy who's like his BMW Touring Club weekender and comes out to officiate for the second time this year. And he tips over his custom-painted Beamer on a hairpin turn because he's going two miles an hour and he's under-geared or over-geared or whatever. Just lays it down on the side of the road with no one in front of him or behind him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so brutal. Uh, Matt Roy joining us, and then we've talked about brevet racing, ultra endurance. Gave little guys. Did you tips. learn anything? Did you I, learn anything? I, I learned brevet, a lot. I learned brevet what, racing. Brevet oh, racing. Crap. Bre- brevet performance, or sorry, brevet. Just, just call it a brevet. Just call it a brevet. Yeah, it's just okay, right. like a. Okay. Can sorry. I? Can I? Just, can yeah, we start? Wait. Can we start a brevet, uh, Matt? Can we can we start a new one? And can I call it Raspberry Brevet? <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Yes. Well done, in fact, in fact, that's what we should do as part of the uh, Minnesota North to South is include a tour of all of the Prince hotspots. All right. Yeah, little guy, your North to South route has to go through Paisley Park. That's... Yeah. I'm going to have to work that out. And Minnetonka. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah. And Lake Minnetonka. So yeah. Yeah. First yeah. Avenue. I, st- I still want to do it with that water bike I found so that I can just ride, pick a route that makes no sense, but just ride across multiple well, lakes. Yeah. Like have and, somebody trailer the water bike to the lakes. Well, that's enjoy what I thought, water. We did learn yeah. today from the expert that crazy. you can bring bikes. Right? Yeah. You can exactly. swap out bikes. So. Yeah. So I swapped from a land bike to a water bike. Back the land bike. I think there is a, t- a wheel issue. What? I think it has to have wheels. Uh, yeah, but they could be water wheels. They could be water wheels. That's true. We're There's starting our own made. ultra cycling association. We can come up with a much better website in about thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I did actually while we were chatting. I just whipped one up. <laughs> so we did learn a lot. Brevet activities. We learned about. Uh, um, <laughs> The cross-state records, Matt's uh, history with the sport, our very first guest. Uh, do you have any more uh, questions for him, Spencer? Uh, <laughs> no, I think we've we've picked the brain, uh, you know, of, of our local PhD as much as we can. Yeah, I, I just want to know when the cure is coming. <laughs> you don't, you yeah, don't want to know. That's it's true. depressing. <laughs> but, you know, we actually, we missed an important topic, I thought. What was it? Which was that, is that one of our... our famous podcasters the little guy was on the pre-reg list <sighs> yeah yeah but it, was I didn't, I didn't make it. it was a hard yeah and there i heard at least seven women crying <laughs> about this i this bet is, there's a lot of the sadness desk. out there <laughs> <laughs> it may have sounded like that but it was just me all right, gentlemen. Well, with that, I think we should bring uh, this episode to a close. I want to thank Matt for joining us. Hope you will in the future. We'll have Thanks, other guys. guests uh, coming up. Uh, 
You can always listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Just search The Slow Ride. We're on Twitter at The Slow Ride Pod. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show.